Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness in each testimony given tonight. Lord, we thank you for the work you're doing in the churches that are here. And Lord, we thank and praise you, especially for this one who has been saved and now following you in believer's baptism. Lord, we thank you for the ordinance of baptism and we thank you for all that you're doing in hearts and lives and answering prayers and keeping us in serving you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. All right. Take your Bibles, if you would. And uh, let's just turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 20. Genesis, chapter 20. Is this my water here, Brother Brett? Okay, very good. Okay. Genesis, chapter 20, verse 7. And we're going to start a new series on... Sunday nights between now and Christmas. And uh, one of the things, as we study things in the Bible, uh, one of the rules that we like to use, one of the rules that we talk about often, it's called the law of first mention. Meaning that if you want to understand some things in the Bible, find the first place that is mentioned and God will set some parameters there. You'll, you'll find some things that will shed some light on this and the subject of our study on Thursday night on Sunday nights on Thursday nights we're going through the book of Ephesians on Sunday nights we're going to be talking about prophecy and uh, nearly a third of our bible was prophecy when it was given much of it has been fulfilled i will tell you by way of introduction the easiest way to understand prophecy is when the Bible says, so thus it was fulfilled as it was written by the prophets. Uh, that is the safest way to understand prophecy. Now, if you turn on certain radio programs, television stations, uh, you're going to hear people talking about, well, I'm a prophet and I'm uh, this and that. And uh, if you ever hear somebody saying that, just kindly Turn them off or leave. Just get out of there. Because as we're going to find out in the Bible, God has some clearly designed and given specifications for a prophet that no living person could match. You see, when we get down to the book of Galatians, we're going to find out that God's already given us everything we need. Uh, Let me just illustrate it this way. How many of you are living every word of the Bible to perfection? I don't see hands going up. So, and they shouldn't because we're not. And we won't until we get to the other side. But what kind of God would it be that would give us things and we can spend our whole life and not get to it, and then keep giving us more and more and more and more and more. Uh, those were nightmares from uh, ninth grade algebra class. You remember that, where you couldn't get it, and you didn't get it, and you don't want to get it, and the teacher just kept giving more and more home. God is not a mean school teacher. He is the creator. He wants us to pay attention to those things which we should do. Now, here in the book of Genesis, verse 7 we're going to have the first mention of the word prophet or prophecy or any form of that word. 
And, and it's really in a very strange context, as we'll get into in just a few moments. Verse 7 of chapter 20 of the book of Genesis. Now, therefore, restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet. And he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know that thou, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Therefore, Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their ears, and the men were sore afraid. Now, here's what had happened. Verse 1, Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur, and sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Now, here's, you got to remember what happened in chapter 18 and 19. The Lord appeared to Abraham and he told him about this time next year, you're going to have a son. His name is going to be called Isaac. And Sarah, your wife, at 89 years old, she will be 90 when she gives birth, is going to give birth. Now, that's the record. I don't think anybody's come close to that. Uh, This was a supernatural, this was a God intervening in the laws of nature so that Sarah could have a child. And, of course, God had a very appropriate sense of humor. He said, the name of the child is going to be Isaac, which means God shall laugh. I shall laugh. And here is... What happened? When God told Abraham that he was going to have a son, he laughed. When God told Sarah she was going to have a son, she laughed. And God said, I'm going to get the last laugh. Because Sarah's going to feel all the pain and all that, the problems of carrying that little baby for nine months at 90 years old. Uh, I don't, uh, they must have been made out of sterner stuff back then. Amen? And, and uh, Somebody said, well, Abraham kind of got off scot-free. I don't think so, because little babies wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and 4 o'clock in the morning and midnight. They want to be fed every two hours. So I think Abraham got his share of, of pain and suffering along with that. But I don't think either Sarah or Abraham minded a bit, because this was the answer to God's prophecies. Well... We got Abraham here not acting very bright, not trusting God, lying about his wife. And you have to understand that in these days, uh, to be a mature woman and not be married was basically an insult. And so as Abraham came there to this area and they said, who is this? And said, this is my sister, Sarah. Uh, immediately, the, uh, the king said, I should honor this great man and engage myself to his sister. Uh, uh, and, of course, we know that Sarah was also a very beautiful woman. Even in her late, later years, this was not something that was wholly unwelcomed by Abimelech. But that night, God appears to him and he says, you better, he says, you you have been the victim of misinformation. And I'm going to set things right. Now, 
He said that Abraham was a prophet. Now, was Abraham a really good example of God's love and God's grace and trusting in the Lord right here? No, he's terrible. He said, I, the fear of the Lord's not in this place, and I feared for my life, so, so I lied. I, I trusted in human reasoning. Now, that's really not the job of a prophet, is it? But God still called him a prophet. Why? Well, Abraham had a few things going for him. Number one, same thing we have going for us. God's patience, long-suffering, and God's forgiveness. Can we say amen to that? Aside from this very negative situation which Abraham found himself in, what are some of the other characteristics of Abraham's life where God would rightly give him this title of a prophet? Well, number one, was he not in direct contact with God? God had given him directions. God had called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. And when his father stopped in Haran, God patiently waited until uh, Abraham's father, at that time, Abram, his father died. And then he called him again out of the land of Haran, Syria, into the land of Canaan. And God made some specific promises to Abraham. Now, why did God make specific promises to Abraham? Because Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Abraham was called of God for a special duty. It is amazing, even the National Geographic crowd, who do not love God at all, do not understand anything about righteousness or morality the Bible talks about, but they understand that the majority, the vast majority of the world's population looks back to Abraham as the father of their faith. All Christian religions, Orthodox, Catholic, Protestant, uh, most of the cults uh, venerate Abraham, and we Baptists, we're not Protestants, all right? Uh, We're our own little group. We never have fit in with anybody because... We tried to do things the Bible way. Amen? But all the Jewish people count their religion back to Abraham, do they not? And Islam counts its religion back to Abraham. Of course, they modify the Quran to say it was Ishmael and not Isaac on, the, on Mount Moriah. Uh, but it doesn't take a real deep thinker to figure out why they did that. Now, does it? I mean, that's almost like the Jehovah's Witnesses coming up with their own Bible a few years ago. Why did they do that? Because what they have isn't in here, so they had to change it to fit them. And that's exactly the same thing with Islam. What they have isn't in here, so they had to change the Bible to fit their religion. And everybody looks back to Abraham. The Bible says, in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Boy, that sounds like the job of a prophet, does it not? To take God's message to the world. Prophecy has two aspects. One is the foretelling of future events. And as we go through the Bible, we're going to find out a lot of those were connected to, if you don't, God will. 
And the will wasn't very nice. How many of you remember Jonah? If you don't repent, God's going to destroy this city in 40 days. And you could just hear Jonah going, I can't wait. But the people of Nineveh listened to God, and Jonah was disappointed in his revenge. Because God is a forgiving, long-suffering, patient, and loving God. But God has to make known to us his message. And that's what Abraham was about. By the way, probably the greatest prophecy that Abraham fulfilled really wasn't a prophecy at all for Abraham. It was the greatest test of his life. Isaac was born. In Genesis chapter 22, God comes and he says, I want you to take Isaac up on Mount Moriah. How many know that story? Now, if you don't know it, we'll tell it, but because this is important. This was part of, of Abraham's work. And if I call him Noah by mistake, just be patient with me. I almost called him Noah there. Uh, Noah was another prophet, but Abraham here is called a prophet because his test with Isaac was a living illustration of what God himself would do to pay the price for our sins. When Abraham got to the point to kill the sacrifice, which was Isaac, God stopped him. And there was a ram caught by his horns in a thicket. And there was a substitute that died in Isaac's place. But when God's son walked up Calvary's hill, there was no substitutes there now, was there? Of all the Old Testament prophets, the only one that clearly understood really what God was going to do to pay the price for our sins was Abraham. See, that's why he was called the friend of God. Friends share things with each other. They hold things in common, do they not? And this defines really... This office of a prophet, he was a key in getting God's message and helping the entire world down to this day. We tell the story of Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah to help us understand why Jesus Christ had to die for our sins. That's the job of a prophet. He foretells and he forth. Those are the two aspects of prophecy. And so, Abraham fulfilled all of those things. Now, I want you to turn to another really unusual passage. Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. And we're just setting the uh, the groundwork. This is actually just the next place uh, that prophecy and prophets are mentioned in the Bible. And... uh, One of the lesser known stories, uh, I am sure, I'm not even sure we cover this story in detail. I know we cover it and will cover it, but not in detail in our through the Bible time. But we start in verse 11. The children of Israel complained, verse 1, and it displeased the Lord and the Lord sent fire out of heaven 
And Moses prayed and the fire was quenched. And in verse 4, the mixed multitude fell to a lusting and made the children of Israel weep again. And and God wasn't finished. But we get down here to verse 10. It says, Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses also was displeased. And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Have I conceived all this people? Have I begotten them, that thou shouldest say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom as a nursing father, beareth the suckling child unto the land which thou swearest unto them, when should I have flesh to give unto all this people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. I am not able to bear all this people alone, because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of hand, if I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. Now, do you get the story here? Moses is talking to God about the children of Israel and how that their ill behavior is not only bringing God's anger, it's not only bringing frustration, but Moses is saying, I, I can't deal with this whole thing. This is too big for me. Uh, do you think God might have just had a purpose here? You see, a prophet has to understand something. He's not the only one with God's message. God's message comes primarily through His Word. And much of this Word was given unto us by his prophets, Moses was the one that God used to write down Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I almost wonder if he was saying, Dear Lord, do I have to put this story in the Bible? I mean, this does not look very nice on me. Well, there's a, there's a thing that God is going to accomplish here. There's a job that God is working, not only in the hearts of Moses, but in the hearts of the nation of Israel. And so, let's uh, move on down here. It says, and Moses got to the point in verse 15, he said, Lord, if this is what you ta- if this is your plan, would you please do something very nice for me if you love me and kill me? Now, that doesn't sound much like faith. We're really off to a good start. We got a liar and a defeatist here. But you have to understand something about prophets. It's not the prophet. It's the message. And the message has to have a source. And if it's going to be a Bible prophet, that source has to be the Word of God. By the way, what you hold in your hand is the written Word. Jesus is the living Word. And you cannot separate the two of them. That's why we're very particular about the Bible we use. And you say, well, that, that old King James Bible is harder to use. Yeah, it is. Understand that. 
And, and uh, I do have a great deal, uh, even though you may not see it, uh, I do have a great deal of compassion for those who English is their second language. And, and this is a challenge. This is a challenge to people who English is their only language. But, would you rather have the Word of God or just some of the words of God? If you want the Word of God, you've got to stick with this one. This old King James Bible, it's the only one in English that's not been messed with. And we don't have time to deal with all of that, but we want to understand this source of prophecy is the Word of God. It comes through the prophets, but the, mo- the important part is not the prophet. That, that's how you can tell a fake prophet from a real one. Is the fake prophet, it's all about me. Uh, there, every once in a while, I'll, I'll come across something. Somebody wrote a new book. Said, I have discovered something new that no one else has discovered. And I'm going, okay, garbage, throw it out. If you're the only one smart enough to figure it out, it's not Bible. Scripture is of no private interpretation. If you're the only person that has has this, then throw it away. Stick with the Bible. Stay away from voices. Understand that it is from God's Word. So, verse 16, And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee there, and I will take of the Spirit which is upon thee, and will put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not thyself alone. And say unto the people, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, and ye shall eat flesh. For ye have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Who shall give us flesh to eat? And God goes on, to tell him he's not going to give him flesh for one day he's going, or one week. He's going to give him flesh every day for 30 days until they loathe it. And as the story goes, uh, there was something in that flesh apparently and over 30,000 people lost their lives in the plague that was attached. It, it was a terrible, terrible time. But Moses got these uh, 30 men here, 70 men. And verse 24, And Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord and gathered the seventy men of the elders of the people and set them round about the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in a cloud and spake unto him and took of the Spirit that was upon him and gave it unto the seventy elders. And it came to pass that when the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied. This is actually the second use. And did not cease, the Bible tells us. And two of these men didn't show up to the meeting. They said, we're not going to be honorable. We're not going to take our responsibility. But God knew where they were, and they prophesied in the camp. And old Joshua says, Moses, they're they're prophesying in the camp. They're not out here at the tabernacle with the rest of us. And Moses' response, let's uh, let's find that. It's, It's good. Verse 29, And Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets, 
and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Now, there's been a great deal of debate because the Bible does not describe what this prophesying actually was. Some say that it was an incoherent babbling, but the only problem I have with that is the prophets always had a message. Uh, I never found any place in the Bible where God just said, that's my message. Uh, God's message is very simple. And it is, obey the words of God. Uh, How would you like to meet somebody that just went around saying, obey God's words. Obey God's words. And they have a question. What does the Bible say? Obey the Bible. You'd say, wow, that guy is really full of it, isn't he? Well, these 70 men, that was part of their job. Remember when Jethro came and they divided the nation of Israel into thousands and, and hundreds and tens and fifties. And these 70 men were of that group. They were leading in the nation of Israel. They were overseers. And they prophesied. God filled them with his word. It'd be nice to know all 613 commandments without having to memorize them now, wouldn't it? And God gave them his message and they prophesied. Now, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 13. And uh, we're going to try to move through here. We're just setting the groundwork here. Deuteronomy chapter 13. And then we're going to read a few verses in Deuteronomy chapter 18. And Deuteronomy 13, verse 1, it says, If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage to thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in, so shalt thou put away the evil from the midst of thee. And it goes on. It says, if your brother, your sister, your wife, uh, your bride-to-be would secretly entice you to go worship false gods, that your testimony is to be first. To have them put to death. God was very serious about this. Now, let me ask you a question. How did the people know how God wanted them to serve you? If you were here in Sunday school, we went through the tabernacle this morning in Sunday school. God gave Moses a visual of the things he was supposed to make after the pattern showed thee in the mount. He gave him the scriptures. It was all written out. Moses had God's law. If a prophet came 
and contradicted God's law and even gave a sign. It's going to get dark tomorrow at noon and the sun's going to go out for three hours and I am using that as a sign to prove that my message is true. And it actually happened. Oh, we should listen to this guy, right? Uh, Not if it contradicts the already given revelation of God. Did Jesus contradict God's revelation? Absolutely not. He fulfilled it. There's a difference. There's a huge difference. Every once in a while, uh, we used to rent Seventh-day Adventist building. Every once in a while, meet someone of that persuasion. You don't keep the Sabbath. Neither do you guys. What? You drive your cars on, on the Sabbath. Well, you turn on lights in the building. Well, what are we supposed to do? Meet in the dark? Hey, go talk to the Jewish people. They know. They set up time clocks. Everything in this building was on a time clock when we got it. Uh, and the question I always like, I actually had a Jewish man ask me. He said, what's the answer to this? I said, Who's the greater sinner, he that sets the time clock or he that tells the electrician how to set the time clock? And he looked at me and he said, uh, 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 I said, you're not supposed to kindle a fire on the Sabbath. You see, you're missing the point. Sabbath is not worship. Sabbath is rest. There's a difference. Sabbath is rest. Worship is every day. Not just on Saturday. And every day is a rest to he who has stopped working for his salvation and rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's why it says it is finished up there. Amen? And we we need to remember those things. Now let's go to chapter 18. So, if the prophecy that he gives comes true and his message contradicts the word of God, the prophet is to pay for that with his life. Now, let's come down to verse 15. And there is a promise of another prophet. Verse 15 says, And the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet. Now, you notice that's a capital P. That's a divine title. From the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. That, that is a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the greatest of all prophets. No one would argue that point, but read Hebrews chapter 1. God spoken in diverse times, in diverse manners, sundry manners. But in these last days, he's spoken unto us by his Son. Jesus is the greatest Of the prophets, but he is much more than a prophet. For not only is he the bearer of the message, he is the message. Amen? And so we we go on down here and uh, let's uh, uh, pick up here in verse uh, 19. It shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. 
And if thou say in thy heart, How shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. You see, one of the reasons why we do not have prophets today, the same as we did in the Old Testament, is because the test of prophecy is the Word of God. We've already dealt with that. Everything that we need to pay attention to, we already have in the Bible. We don't need anything new. We need to follow that which we have. And by the way, even if I came working signs and wonders, what's the first place you would go? Well, if I'm going to follow the pattern, I go right to this book called the Bible and tells me I have all the prophecies. So that guy's got to be a fake. I want to tell you, the next prophet that comes will be the Antichrist. And he will work signs and wonders to prove his veracity. The only problem is his source is not in this book. It's in the devil himself. And the world is going to pay for that in terrible, unthinkable ways. But God's word is going to be fulfilled. And so as we just look at this thing called prophecy. Did you get a chance to look that up at all? Okay, there we go. I'd ask him to do, I ran out of time for one little research. How many of you have heard of Jean Dixon? She was very famous, if you're of a certain age like I am. Uh, she was in the news all the time. She was a witch. And she prophesied the assassination of John F. Kennedy. That was her claim to fame. She was 5% correct in her verifiable prophecies. She's the best one they got. She's actually better than Nostradamus. Five percent. You know what? That doesn't match up to God's standard of a prophet. God's standard is 100%. Somebody say, that's not fair. Nobody can know everything. Excuse me? God knows everything. Just like the really bright bulb that I was talking about evolution a while back. He says, you, you Christians, he says, you just, you just take the easy way out. You put God in the equation and everything works. I went, duh, yeah. It doesn't take a bright boy to figure that out, now does it? Sorry, the sarcasm just sneaks out every once in a while. You have to forgive me. But, Wouldn't God, by virtue of being God, know everything? Then should not His prophets who are speaking His words be 100% accurate in their testimony? Uh, Yeah. And if they're not, that shows that they haven't been talking to the God of this book called the Bible, but some other God. Or even feigning the things out of their own minds. There are many of these 
Wall Street prophets out there. They, they knew when the last one was coming. The last, they told us it was coming and they're telling us uh, if those guys actually knew what they thought they knew, they'd be in jail with Martha Stewart, right? And it's called insider trading. You're not allowed to do that. She's out of jail now, I know. But I want you to understand something. As we go through prophecy, I hope we can have a little fun with it on Sunday nights. Amen? Because a lot of people say, oh, it's so boring and tedious. God's Word is neither boring nor tedious to any honest student. And the truths here are so important to us today. Jesus told the parable of a vineyard. Mark chapter 12. The vineyard is God's work. The owner is God the Father. The vines and the fruit of the vineyard, guess who that is? That's us. But there were men who thought that the vineyard belonged to them. They were the false religious leaders of Jesus' day. And in generations before, he sent the owner sent his servant. He was treated spitefully. They slew some. They, they, they wounded others. They treated them spitefully. And when finally the owner of the vineyard sends his own son, they make the most ridiculous statement in the world. They say, let us kill the heir so the vineyard will be ours. Now, you know what they were actually saying? They were saying that the owner of the vineyard cares so little for his vineyard that he will never, ever set foot in it. That's why he only sent his servants. So it's our duty to take care of it. And when the son and the heir is exterminated, he's never coming back and it'll be ours. How perverse is that? Because when the owner of the vineyard finds out what they did to his son, he's not coming by himself. And he's not even going to bring his hand-picked personal bodyguards. He's going to bring an army. And he is going to wipe the place out. And, And I want to tell you something. All this false religion stuff that's out there, you read the letters to the churches. Those are prophetic. They haven't completely been fulfilled yet. He says, I'm going to make them of the synagogue of Satan bow down at your feet and know that I have chosen thee. There's just a part of me that's looking forward to that. All those priestly robes and and, and, uh, religious accoutrements and trinkets and statues and uh, buildings and all of these things. They're going to be on their feet. I mean, on their faces. At our feet. And say, I was a teacher of false doctrine. I was a false prophet of a false truth. That's why it's so important to understand prophecy. Because it protects us from the Jim Joneses of this world. How many of you remember Jim Jones? About the wacko from Waco, David Koresh. Remember that one? about Mr. Applewaith? 
He was the purple bandana and the plastic bag guy. They were all going to commit suicide and end up on the starship, uh, be beamed up to the starship as it went by. I mean, and this guy was already on psychiatric meds. And people, I think it was, what, what was it? It was over 20 people committed suicide at his behest. How many of you run into one of these uh, Farrakhanites walking up and down the street? Tell you what, you meet one of those, stay away. They're very violent people. Because they have nothing to their religion at all except I say so. Well, actually, Screwy Louie says so. But... Uh, uh, that's what we affectionately call Mr. Farrakhan because that guy has got to have some loose things bouncing around up there. Uh, you see, we live in a world of false prophets. How do we know the true ones? We go back to the source. They don't contradict it. We watch what they say and it doesn't come to pass. If he'll lie about a million-man march, what won't he lie about? I mean, that's just how simple it is. We've got to stick with the Word of God because it is 100% accurate. In fact, the book of Daniel, and we'll go through this, the book of Daniel is so accurate in its prophecies that the skeptical world says it's a history. How about that? Only God could be that accurate. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you as we start this study on prophecy. We ask that you would help us to pay attention to your word, to the truths that are in it, that you would teach us, encourage us. And Lord, that you would help us to know and understand that your truth is without error. And Lord, we only have one life to live. We'd better be careful with your truth. In your name we pray. And we'll take just a moment. If you need to slip out of your seat, and uh, come up and pray at the altar. The altar's open.